just a reminder, here at That's So Chronic, we are dedicated to sharing personal stories. We are not advocating any type of treatment, therapy, procedure or intervention. Everyone is unique, so please seek professional medical advice before making any decisions for yourself or for others. Welcome to That's So Chronic, the podcast where I, Jess Bryan, interview some incredible people from around the world that are thriving and sometimes only just surviving with chronic illnesses, life-changing injuries and potentially disastrous diagnoses. Today we are heading to Adelaide, Australia through the power of the internet where I sat down with Diana Devine to chat about her diagnosis of hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. In this episode we talk about her journey to a diagnosis, why it's important to get a good GP, how she felt accepting the use of mobility aids, what it's like being a burlesque dancer with a chronic illness and we wonder why on earth people feel the need to be rude. I've been in the same place as Diana Devine so many times and we hadn't managed to cross paths yet so I loved getting to know her during this chat and I know you will too. Welcome to That's So Chronic. The Diana Devine, welcome to That's So Chronic. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be a part of it. All the way in Adelaide, after a few technical difficulties, we have found (laughs) our connection and we are ready to go. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Already so connected, the two of us. (laughs) (laughs) So you are an artist. You're a burlesque dancer, burlesque teacher. You are a producer, all while living with hypermobile Alice Danlos syndrome. Yeah. How do, is he like a cute little nickname? Uh, so EDS is like the kind of umbrella term. Hypermobile is the specific yeah. type of EDS that I have. Uh, but people who have EDS are called zebras. Oh, which is pretty cute. Yeah. In reference to the idea of if you hear hoofs think horses, not zebras in uh, the medical community so basically like go for the obvious explanation rather than the uncommon explanation when the whole thing with EDS is is, is it is the uncommon explanation like it is the thing you would expect um, and so yeah whether zebras you should be listening for <laughs> instead of horses. I love that that is so wonderful. Yeah it's cute. Let's start all the way I guess at the beginning, because I know that there are 13 different types of EDS, and I'm just wondering what your definition is of hypermobile EDS. So hypermobile EDS is, I think, one, I think the only one or one of a couple of types that can't be diagnosed through genetic testing. Mm-hmm. So it is a genetic disorder. Uh, so uh, you need to have kind of family with either enough symptoms to extrapolate that they would have had it or a diagnosed history of EDS of some kind. But the, yeah, the tricky thing with uh, hypermobile is there's no medical testing for it. There's yeah. just like physical assessment. Yeah. So for me, it's just my joints are all really, really bendy and flexy. I've got like some really cool party tricks <laughs> that my doctor doesn't want me to do anymore. <laughs> Yeah, I've also got very like soft skin, diagnosed velvety soft ah. skin, actually. So that's how it's described like on the diagnostic list, velvety soft. And then 
my doctor when we were doing the diagnosis was like oh okay let me see and I touched her and she she gave the same response that everyone always does they go "Ooh, <laughs> yeah that is family soft and it's always this like very exciting intrigued oh that is soft skin but it also means that I could get like a lot of skin tears um I also bruise easily and uh my I scar uh, weirdly I can't really ever predict how my scars are going to form when I get them right. and then I can I can uh heal really quickly from scars but then also sometimes uh, a small cut or something will take a really long time to heal I also found out I will get sunburnt more easily and more severely which I learned the hard way over Christmas yep. <laughs> or Christmas if I will um oh, that classic <laughs> Australian sun yeah um but because I just had never I'd always been fairly sun smart it was just like one-off time forgot to reapply sunscreen I found out how sensitive I was to getting sunburnt uh and it was just yeah. like horrifying all over my body yeah it was ridiculous it was like I had never heard of sunscreen before from how severely I was burned yeah. um and it took like a little longer to heal once again so yeah even my uh, nail technician she'll notice if I get like any nicks um in the cuticle or anything they take so much longer to heal there'll be you know two or three refills before it's actually fully healed is diagnosis the beginning for you or were you noticing a whole <laughs> number of things way before you managed to get a diagnosis Oh yeah, absolutely. I only noticed something was like wrong at probably uh, age 13. I started to go to a physio for um, back pain, but then looking back in, in retrospect, now that I have this diagnosis and when I was starting to investigate EDS specifically, I was looking at my childhood and there were a lot of uh, dislocations that would just kind of go oh you know just a kid being dramatic or whatever you know keep going yeah and it would have been a dislocated joint right I've definitely right. dislocated my knee multiple times as a kid uh and then just because I didn't make that big a deal of it my parents weren't really paying that much attention to it we just kind of went yeah whatever it's just you know a sore knee it's just growing pains mm -hmm. but even things like I was able to do the splits for a really long time without anyone ever teaching me yeah. <laughs> which is you know as a kid it's a party trick but it's one of those big almost like universal experiences uh for people with hypermobile EDS of like oh yeah I was just able to bend my body in weird ways and everyone would be like oh that's really cool yeah <laughs> it's kind of abnormally bendy for a reason uh because it's not good for you <laughs> Yeah, and so when did you start to think, hang on a second, maybe these dislocations or this bendiness needs to actually be talked to a professional about? So it would have been 13 years old when I first started seeing a physio. I was having back pain that I would describe like my body was falling apart, like just all my right. muscles were just falling off of each other. And I would have to walk around bracing my own back with my hands just to feel like my body was being held together, which is actually somewhat hyperbolic, but actually pretty accurate to what I would have been experiencing at the time. Um, I found out a few years later, after the back pain just got worse and worse, uh, we did an MRI and we found out I had a totally torn disc in uh, my spine, which 
basically just took all the padding out from my already like uh, unstable spine. And yeah, it was just contributing to so much pain because then my muscles would then be overcompensating. And that's basically my whole issue is my muscles all kind of are over, overcompensating all the time for my really loose joints. As soon as I overstretch, if I strain my muscles, then a dislocation is so much more likely. If I fatigue my muscles, just like if I get too tired overall, it doesn't even have to be with yeah. physical work. It all, everything becomes so much more unstable in my body. And even just like standing up from sitting down can end up dislocating something or subluxating. Which I guess when you are a teenager and you're growing up, it's really easy to compare yourself to other people that you're at school with and be like, hang on a second, how come they're not dislocating their knees every time they play in the playground? Yeah. Why is this happening to me? Yeah, well, I think for me, um, because I had spent my whole life just assuming that everyone was in this kind of pain all the time. And I just thought it was just kind of a part of life because, I've, you know, the term growing pains is very much like, oh, sometimes kids are just it's just sore, yeah. you know? And so I was like, oh, this like massive pain is probably the normal amount of pain. But because I'd done that literally my whole life, I didn't, I didn't think it was abnormal, the pain I was experiencing. Um, I reckon I was about 18 or 19 with my now husband just chatting about my current pain. And I was like, so what hurts right now on you? And he was like, nothing, nothing hurts. I said, no, like something's going to be sore. In your body, something's sore, right? And he's like, no. And I'm like, no, like, okay, what's like the least comfortable part of your body? Nothing. I'm like, my body feels fine. And I was just, it was really confronting for me to think that there are people who just can't pinpoint a sore thing on their body they're just feeling good and like and that's that so that was really confronting and that's when I just that's when I realized how serious how deep in I was uh but that was quite past kind of the high school and developmental stuff I had I was pretty much just big denial yeah um up until that stage and then, yeah, just having that really frank conversation, which, which I'm sure was also quite confronting for him to have, to realise that that was kind of what I was living with. And it is, to an extent, it is what I'm living with still. I'm just a little bit better at recognising and managing it mm-hmm. rather than just denying it and pushing it down. But it has led to, like, I am really, really bad at assessing the severity of my own injuries because it's either normal pain or it's extreme pain and I only ever rate it when I get to like the extreme pain stage when you know recently I've uh, dislocated my shoulder and it was quite a bad dislocation that my physio she was like I'm really glad you thought to come in as an emergency appointment for this because this is really bad and I was like oh I just thought I'd strained the muscle a little bit I just I just thought it was a bit sprained. And she's like, no, you clearly did dislocate this. You've clearly hurt yourself (laughs) quite badly. But yeah, just because it wasn't like overwhelming pain, I was like, oh, it's probably fine. What could it possibly be? So to me, growing up, dislocations were just like twisting your ankle. Except I I was twisting my ankle, but like dislocating my ankle. (laughs) And then going, oh, it's just twisted, whatever. But yeah, it was... I appreciate that I at least didn't have to experience the woe of pain 
that often, but also uh, really bad habit to get into. <laughs> when you dislocate a joint, does it automatically go back in or do you have to do something to put it back? Um, sometimes both, sometimes either or. My shoulder, when I did it recently, that pretty much went straight back in, uh, which is closer to a subluxation, which is just a partial dislocation. But yeah, you can dislocate and it, and it can go in. But often when I dislocate my knee, I usually will have to either rub it or like push it back in. It's not like the movies though, where it's like crickety crack (laughs) and like slam their shoulders in, Um, at least not for me. Uh, But that's, yeah, because there is that kind of like range of severity with dislocations. A lot of the time for me, it's just like a subluxation or just a really, really quick dislocation that I just kind of like will massage and rub into place. Yeah, but the knees are the ones that look really gross. They're the ones that you're like, something's wrong there. (laughs) But yeah, it's it's great though. I love grossing out my husband. If I've like recently dislocated or subluxated my knee, I'll just like pick his hand up and put it on my knee and just press on the fluidy part. And he's like, stop, (laughs) why are you doing that? Oh, it's so funny. Weak. It's the small <laughs> things in life, isn't it, when you've got a chronic illness? Absolutely. And, God, it, like, it makes great party tricks, especially um, pool parties. If I ever go to a pool party, I'm just, like, in the water bending myself into a knot because it's the only time that, like, pesky gravi- gravity isn't bothering me. And so it's I just end up like in the middle of the pool playing like a child while everyone else is like on the edges having drinks, being cool and grown up. It's yeah, it definitely makes me uh, really appreciate low pain and pain free moments. Mm-hmm. It just kind of sucks that I had to have that perspective in the first place. But it is what it is. So then after you had this chat with your husband, mm. did you well? boyfriend then husband Mm. um did you then go and talk to a GP about it is there like a specialist that you then went to go and see so I am now 25 Mm -hmm. I started investigating I, I got my MRI for my spine when I was 18 around the same time that I had that conversation it was all part of a larger thing when my back had been just progressively getting worse And then, yeah, so from ages 18 to about 24, I reckon, I was going to various GPs, just like begging them to help me. I didn't initially think it would be EDS. Uh, I only really, I only actually learned about EDS when I first did uh, my Singing in the Pain show, when I had the amazing headliner Jacqueline Fox come down from America and she has the same thing. And then uh, we had just like a few conversations about her experiences. And the more we spoke, the more it was like, oh, these match mine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This seems familiar. And then I made another friend who also happened to have it. And we had similar exchanges, except uh, I knew her for a longer time. And so every time we spoke about it, she would get kind of more firm with like, actually, I think you really do need to investigate this now. Like, it's not just like, oh, that's interesting. Like, it seems like you really might benefit from understanding this more and having like a diagnosis and a plan behind you. So yeah, that the actual diagnosis came very quickly for me, but the looking for support uh, took a really long time. Finding suitable support that will 
both acknowledged that the pain I was in was abnormal and, and needed to be treated because obviously don't present as someone who's in it in a lot of pain all the time. So yeah, they had to, I had to have doctors that believed me <laughs> that I was in pain. Yeah. Um, and then doctors that were willing and able to put in the extra time to uh, research this uncommon thing and uh, figure out what they can actually do to help me. Uh, because it's not one of the things that you can like treat really it's just about pain management and staying on top of strengthening exercises if you can try to stabilize and like just avoid injury but it's no it's not something you can cure or treat properly in the same way that you would like a curable disease so you know chronic (laughs) so it was just really it was really hard I went through about uh it was only about three or four doctors I went through in the end, still quite a few <laughs> over a couple of years. But yeah, each time it would be met with, uh, they basically get to my spinal injury diagnosis and end it there. And they go, well, problem solved. We've figured it out. And it's like, but why do all these injuries keep happening? What about all the other parts of my body that are hurting? At one point, I think on my third doctor (laughs) I was I had just performed in a fringe show I did a like angry funny routine where I'm like angrily punching the floor and I just accidentally met made contact with the floor instead of just touching it and I must have dislocated my wrist or done something I must have just messed it up somewhere in there and it had been that like six or nine months since I'd done that and I was going to the doctor like my wrist still hurts like I know that wrists are really funny and complicated and hands are complicated but there's something going on here yeah and he just sent me for an x-ray and he said yep not all looks good I guess that's that and it was just kind of like but (laughs) but we didn't do anything more we just said it wasn't this and then that's the conclusion But yeah, and then not long after that, my other wrist started hurting in the same way without an injury. So then it's, you know, kind of rules out the fact that I was just like hurting it and then not allowing it to heal or anything. But yeah, that and that was just wrists. That was just like, oh, it's kind of sore when I like push the bathroom door closed or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, eventually I started getting in so much pain that I uh, ended up, once again, my having husband uh decided to just pretty much convince me to get a walking stick uh we'd seen a few of our friends uh had used them and a few peers uh in like burlesque and uh in professional industries around us using mobility aids more kind of openly and it was really encouraging um and yeah he just kind of went I think it's time I think it might work for you And yeah, I started using one and it was immediately really helpful. I kind of showed the doctor the next time I was there and I'm like, you know, what do you think of this? Do you think this is helpful? And he was basically like, yep, whatever. If you want to, you can. Uh, He didn't even show me how to properly use one. I had to talk to my physio friends to teach me how to use this mobility aid. Uh, The walking stick just changed my life. It was something that if a doctor had suggested to me like, four years earlier I wouldn't even be using it full time because it just has given me that much relief that I reckon like my spine which is only ever going to degenerate from here now 
I think it wouldn't be nearly as progressed and nearly as like immediately impactful when I do any kind of movement. So when you use the walking stick, what can you feel in the body? Like, cause I know for me, if I use a walking stick for my MS, it's because my legs are super weak and it's to mm. help with the balance. For you, how do you feel it benefiting you? Is it the the relief of the pressure on the spine? I kind of, it depends on what I am feeling on the day. It depends on what sore, as 18-year-old Jackie would say. Um, so I do have a lot of trouble with my knee these days. Uh, so I am often using it for my knee and hip. Uh, but I also just find having something to lean on at any given time is nice just to kind of take the pressure off of anything. Um, especially with dance, I can find that I can manipulate like the way I engage my muscles to help relieve different muscles. That's probably a learned thing from just having like strained fatigued muscles my whole life. But yeah, I think it would be, I think it's just, yeah, fatigue relief thing more than anything for me. But yeah, but I do these days really get an advantage with my knee now. Yeah. Otherwise, I like I just can't really walk if I've put my knee out these days because it's just been mm -hmm. uh, injured so so many times the actual area is damaged at this stage so yeah it's definitely come in handy and then I've also recently now got a wheelchair yes which is once again life-changing um, able to go out to big events I was able to go to uh, the change the date rally on January 26 I am able to just do anything that I want I can go out, especially if I've got someone with me. It's like, you know, you guys want to walk there? Sure, someone can push me because yeah. I wouldn't have been able to join for the walk. We would have had to just fail on that bit. I've gone on hikes with my friends, which is something I've just been missing since I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. It's just so relieving and empowering to just be like, just get back in it. It feels like I've been able to just get fully back into my life and just do whatever I bloody want. <laughs> Did it always feel like that using the mobility aids with the walking stick and the wheelchair or did you ever feel affected? Because I know that there are some people that find it quite difficult to ask for help or to accept these things helping them. Yeah, the um, the walking stick was the hardest because that was, I was going from zero mobility aids and completely invisible and kind of passing for healthy and passing for non-disabled and then yeah I ended up having some difficult experiences in public I've I actually was called a slur while walking through a slur for a disabled people yeah while walking crossing the street because I was crossing too slow I also have been told off by a couple of people in public for uh, using my walking stick for fashion yeah, which, I mean, to me just says they like my outfit. Yeah. Um, but to them, they have <laughs> the right to decide whether or not I need my mobility aid. Yeah, even uh, recently at Christmas, I uh, had I was walking up across Mosley Square, which is the beach here in Glenelg. Uh, I was just walking across the walkway and uh, kind of was intersected with another person uh, using a walking stick they had a moon boot on and they were just walking along and then we just kind of walked pretty much up to each other to cross paths and I went oh stick versus stick who will win just trying to be silly and fun um, with this stranger who 
you know, I thought a bit of camaraderie between the stick boys. And then they turned to me and were like, well, I've got a broken ankle, so I actually need mine. Uh, so I should go first. And it was just so just like, who gave you the right? <laughs> who allowed you to say this and to think that this is just like a fair assumption? But yeah, I've definitely found the more like fashionably I'm dressed, the less people will respect my walking stick. Um, which was then really, really hard for me because when I was first using the stick, that would that was kind of how I got really comfortable with it, was like tying it in and feeling like I was being really cute and like making it all work and, you know, using it as much. Yet, like, yes, it was a fashion accessory, but it was a necessary mobility aid that I was just also making look nice. So, yeah, that that was a really big barrier when I first started using mobility aids. Uh, because that was very, very early on. I think also because I would have been using it nervously. <laughs> yeah, I would have also been using it a little more uncertainly than I do now as well. Like I walk around like it's just an extension of myself these days, but that wasn't always uh, as natural as to me as it is now. It just, it's mind boggling because like, of course people have invisible disabilities yeah. or invisible illnesses and like how can that man even say that my mind just is yeah that is just so ludicrous to me yeah it's it's just so um just the audacity <laughs> is astounding yeah. I also think my youth definitely has a lot to do with it not only am I young but I also look younger than I am again um and so a lot of people see like young person uh, doing something <laughs> I don't like that um and then also as soon as it's with anything that gives them the theoretical moral high ground mm. so you know it sure would it sure would fit the narrative of silly youths using mobility aids as fashion accessories because you know the news would love that <laughs> as a special report you know and so it definitely, yeah, it feels like it's people just like looking for someone to criticize and they've decided on this narrative in their head without realizing that I'm a whole person and that's a ridiculous assumption to make. Uh, but it seems, it seems to be a very common assumption. It's happened multiple times now and it's just so like, yeah, let me live. <laughs> we need to get everybody listening to that so chronic so that they can yeah. just learn a couple of things about life. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Does your wheelchair have a name? Uh, my wheelchair, yes. His name is Dick Dastardly, after the Wacky Racers character. Uh, big Dick, if you're nasty. <laughs> um, and my walking sticks are all Betty of some variety. So I have a pink plain walking stick, which is the original Betty. And then I've got uh, one that's covered in rhinestones called Blinged Betty. And then I've got my black walking stick, which is, of course, Black Betty. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I've got a few. I gotta just like keep thinking of Betty related names now. But yeah, I do like to name them. It makes me feel very uh, lighthearted about it. I really enjoy just, you know, finding joy in everyday life. And so if someone's like, you know, oh, I love your stick, like, oh, thanks, her name's Betty. Here she is. <laughs> and like, I find it just takes a lot of the pretense away and a lot of the uh formalities and everything and it's like no you know she's just one of me she's part of me 
just coming along for the ride. <laughs> but yeah, and it's also, I also really like saying, like, if I'm going to a social event, like, oh, I'm thinking about bringing Dick. <laughs> um, do you think I'll be able to bring him? And people will be able to have a little giggle at that. And it's kind of just once again, nice and familiar and like, you know, if you know, you know, with my friends. And so if I then I'm asking, can I bring Dick? They're like, haha, that's funny. Also, yes. Or whatever. But yeah, so I really, I love naming everything. I name everything. I just got some new plants. It's like one of them is purple. I named her Sappho just because the energy of it is so sapphic. My goodness. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So when did you start dancing? When did that become a thing that you did in your life? So I did a lot of musical theatre in high school. I was just in all the clubs and the plays and the songs and everything. But I didn't have a lot of actual dance experience or I hadn't, hadn't even really been to classes or anything. Um, and then, yeah, when I graduated high school, my friend started doing burlesque just as something to do as a hobby. Um, and she invited me to her school showcase, which was the Peaches and Gin Bloomers Showcase, uh, which is such a blast from the past because they're not, they don't operate as a school anymore. Uh, they're just a production company. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so she invited me along to the showcase and she was like, I'm inviting you because I think you might want to try classes. Um, and also I just, you know, would like you to see me perform, but mostly I think you're going to want to join. Uh, so I came and watched it and she was so right. It was like watching the the most amazing musical of your life. <laughs> to me, it like, was just like the essence of theatre. It was just very like expressive and uh, so much like autonomy and personal investment from the performers. It just felt like every single person was bringing such a unique perspective into their performances and then having total creative freedom on what they actually brought onto the stage. It was just amazing. Also, like, pretty girls are pretty. <laughs> and I love watching burlesque because beautiful people. So, yeah, that was great too. So I just kind of, like, dove into burlesque fully. I gave myself over to it. <laughs> Um, just because Amazing. it felt it just felt so like everything I would love about a performance genre um, and I just I hadn't didn't even know what it was until watching that show but yeah I ended up going into classes at the start of 2015 uh, the first class of the year 2015 I was there actually amazing I was taught by uh, Luna Eclipse uh, who now does visual art but yeah she is a really big uh, comedic performer she's great at uh, narrative based ideas and really strong premises uh, which is my what has now become my favorite style of burlesque and so she was really good with introducing burlesque not necessarily as a dance style but more just as a performance style and then she would just kind of teach us the skills of burlesque as we kind of developed confidence on stage, which suited me very well because I could not dance. Even now my tagline <laughs> is uh, can't dance and insistent on doing so naked because I <laughs> like I can just I can get the choreography, but I never thought of myself as like a natural mover. I was always felt like I was either too stiff or too floppy, <laughs> which yeah you know, makes sense in retrospect. Yeah, I just always thought dance was never something I could do. 
and then after discovering burlesque it's like oh movement is dancing and that's that's it it's that simple (laughs) and you've been using your walking stick in performances haven't you yeah so I now uh, host singing in the pain which I always I host full-time with my mobility aids now just whatever I need at the time uh last year that was my walking stick which that was I reckon it took about 50 percent of the effort from my body than it would have the year prior when I was hosting it standing upright Mm -hmm. it was amazing and then after hosting that show I was just so ready to do it in everything to use my walking stick for everything so I started stage managing with my walking stick um I also uh have started stage managing in my wheelchair since getting him um him (laughs) since getting my wheelchair (laughs) um yeah so I it did really open up seeing in the pain hosting that opened up the ability to just use it for anything it didn't have to be off stage it didn't have to be in the shadows or anything it was just like no just use it what you want the people will like you they don't care what you're using to get onto the stage (laughs) they're gonna like what you bring and so yeah after hosting I then did a couple of fundraisers singing using my walking stick which was all very well received and then eventually I plucked up the courage in last November to use it in a routine an actual burlesque routine and it wasn't really about the walking stick. It wasn't like a disability themed routine. It was uh, just a confidence man song I really like uh, and some pink underwear and my pink walking stick. <laughs> and it just went off. The audience loved it. Uh, no one even seemed to care about the stick. Like it was just a part of it. I wasn't emphasizing it too much as a prop. It was clearly being used primarily as a mobility aid. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting because usually when I bring something out on stage, I'm used to like, it's all about this thing that I'm bringing out. Like it's a boa routine. It's a chair routine. Um, But this is like, it's just a me routine. I'm just using my stick. So I think the audience kind of acknowledged that and really appreciated it. And they just kind of, a a lot of the audience would have already known that I do use mobility aids in day-to-day life. But, you know, those that didn't know me still were really really into it they loved it they thought it was hot and funny and cool and yeah they're like and your stick matches your underwear amazing (laughs) yeah and it's it's just such the opposite uh response that I get from other members of the public as well that it is Mm -hmm. just right it is so touching to receive that kind of feedback of like no that was very good keep going because yeah often it's this is very bad please stop (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, no, it's very, it, it's been so empowering using my mobility aids in performances. I'm also now thinking up a uh, mobility aid themed routine where I'll be getting mm. all of my Bettys and my <laughs> big dick dastardly and uh, rolling out onto the stage just like covered in mobility aids because they're just bring so much joy and freedom and I just want to like express that to the world (laughs) I love that I cannot (laughs) wait to see that 
I'm still kicking myself that you've done Singing in the Pain when I have been in Adelaide and it was in my diary ready to go and then obviously the fringe fatigue just yeah. caught up to me and I didn't make it to the show and I'm still so upset <laughs> about that and I can't wait to see it one day. Oh yeah, we will definitely be back. I think yes. the show is so much bigger than what I intended it to be in the first place now and I think it means a lot to the uh, performers in Adelaide who would be performing in it to have that platform there. Uh, I just feel like everyone gets to say some big statements for themselves and I think it means so much to the performers as much as it does the audience Um, and it's just like one big group hug. It's so nice. I know that the burlesque industry is really inclusive and I'm just wondering whether you've ever felt any negativity or discrimination with being a burlesque performer that does use a mobility aid, whether that has ever come up and you feel like, oh, maybe I can't apply to perform in this show because it's not singing in the pain, it's not about chronic illnesses, or maybe I wouldn't fit here. I'm just wondering if that has ever happened for you. Yeah, I've definitely faced issues with, uh, like, chronic pain coming back with flare-up. Um, and being committed to shows and having flare-ups and then knowing a producer just like won't be happy with you if you pull out or you're not going to get hired again if you pull out. I always found that to be the highest pressure aspect of performing in shows of like just, I God, I hope my body doesn't uh, have any issues straight before this. Otherwise, I have to pull out and probably won't get hired again. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't. I'm very uh, gung-ho about applying for things just because I'm a big believer of just like, what's the worst that can happen? Worst case scenario, I don't get it. That's fine. But yeah, I basically once I do apply, that's when I immediately start thinking like, oh God, this is towards this like section of fringe. What if I'm fatigued by then and I have to pull out? Uh, or, you know, what if this routine is going to be too physical for me? or, you know, X, Y, Z, other reasons. But I think Adelaide specifically is quite close-knit as a burlesque community. We all know each other, um, even if we're involved in different production teams or schools or anything. We all still know each other and we all kind of really look after each other or try to as much as we can. And so, yeah, that sort of thing doesn't... Creating an atmosphere like that, that, that a disabled performer would feel um, unwelcome I don't think that would particularly fly at least in the experience I've had in Adelaide burlesque now yeah also now being like a teacher with burlesque with uh, hot sauce burlesque and then producing a bunch of shows I'm now able to actually be a part of the uh, reinforcements for our disabled performers and be that kind of backup and like that validating, uh, you know, like come to me if there's an issue, I will come and help explain it sort of thing, which I think is important. It's something I think I would have enjoyed having when I was a student in Bella, developing my skill and professionally developing. I definitely would have appreciated someone basically being like, you know, here's what you're allowed to ask for. Here is what a reasonable accommodation is like. And kind of that external validation of like, if you ask for an accommodation and the producer says no, 
that's their problem. <laughs> like that's them being in the wrong. It's not you asking for too much or being too hard. And then also, yeah, just being able to be someone who is also teaching producers how to be that way. Um, you know, I feel comfortable talking to most producers about the way they would run their show if they were to hire me. Now that I've had it like quite a bit of experience professionally performing, I can actually feel comfy knowing how to confront a situation like that rather than feeling like it's a fight or like you're condemning your professional uh, reputation or anything. Whereas, yeah, before um, just coming into the industry, you're so nervous. You just want jobs and you just don't want to be like cut off. You don't want to be written off as too hard or too difficult to work with or whatever. When I think that's what the world often makes just disabled people in general feel like we're just too hard doing a little bit extra is too much because other people didn't ask for anything extra and it's like (laughs) it's just um yeah yeah non-disabled be like that sometimes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so going back to the hypermobile Alistair loss syndrome diagnosis what would you say are your main symptoms that you feel every day? So for me, the symptoms will look like pain in usually joints, uh, but it can just be kind of muscle fatigue sort of pain, usually generally around joints. So, you know, right now my hip is very sore. It's just very like achy and it feels like I've just been doing a bunch of stuff for days and days that specifically engages my hip. I am usually quite fatigued. Uh, I feel like I, like no amount of sleep could ever make me feel well rested, mm-hmm. which is more of kind of a comorbidity than a symptom uh, because, you know, your muscles are working so hard all the time. I Like it's silly, but soft skin and uh, hyperextending they're things you don't actually notice until you make the point of noticing them. Yeah. But yeah, my, my husband always used to say, like, I just had such soft skin and it was weird because I never like moisturized or did any proper skincare at the time. But yeah, he would just be like, you're so soft. That's amazing. And I just thought he was being cutesy boyfriend stuff. But then, yeah, when we started uh, investigating EDS, we saw soft skin as a symptom and we're like, oh, it's a real thing. But yeah, so soft skin and then uh, bending and flexing in weird little ways. So I'm not going to do any party tricks for you just in case my doctor hears this. (laughs) But um, yeah, so just weird ways of like your uh, fingers moving and bending. So I mean, obviously podcast listeners won't be able to tell what I'm doing, but right now I'm like individually bending my knuckles. Yeah, which I definitely can't do yeah it's like really it's pretty gross it kind of I look like a badly rendered like 3d playstation character trying to pick something up like they've programmed the joints in there but they don't have real physics applied so yeah weirdly enough that's one of the things that made me really really link straight to HEDS because um I wake up every morning with my wrist bunched under my chin like a little woodland creature um with basically my wrists like pressed my hands pressed against my wrist flat folded down which is not normal I guess I guess I guess it's not normal (laughs) 
but yeah, so just things like that, even just photos from burlesque uh, where I'll be pressing on the ground. There's some photos where I'm bending my fingers uh, by pressing on the ground and it's just like uh, bent the whole way backwards, creating like a beautiful U shape with my fingers and wrists and just really uh, just like not quite right <laughs> bending moments with me, overly flexible, even also just like realizing when you've been sitting in a particular position, looking down and assessing what that position actually is that you're sitting in. Half the time it's like you wouldn't be able to fathom how to recreate the position because <laughs> it's just a tangle yeah. of like legs. <laughs> yeah. So all of that sort of thing, that for me is the daily Daily reminders that I have uh, hypermobile EDS, <laughs> uh, just kind of seeing myself be bending and feeling that extension, the hyperextension. Do you have any tips or tricks, I guess, to conclude if somebody is listening to the podcast and they also have HEDS or they're going down this route of maybe finding out that that's what they have been living with? Do you have any tips or tricks of ways that people could get support or ways that people could, like who they should go and see or who they could talk to or just something that you do in your day-to-day -day life that might be helpful? So for doctors, for getting medical support, I 100% uh, recommend just asking all of your friends who has a good doctor. Um, that's how I found my good doctor. I just asked my other chronically ill friends who was good around and found someone who just sounded great and went to them. I was then able to be assessed for like a preliminary assessment from the GP in the first session that I had it, uh, which is quite sad about the <laughs> prior four doctors that weren't able to do anything for me. But it was a really, really quick resolution straight into diagnosis which I then can be assessed for a chronic illness management plan, which gives you rebates on uh, your uh, allied health. So for me, that's a physiotherapist and psychologist. You can choose your allied health people. So that's in Australia and 100% recommend it, uh, essential if you can. But yeah, definitely ask around to your other chronically ill friends because chances are one of them will have a good doctor because we eventually all will search around until we get one. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> In terms of day-to-day -day management, if you think you have EDS, stop bending your fingers to see if you do. <laughs> stop it. <laughs> I know you're doing it. I know you show people the signs on Google Images and then do it yourself. Stop doing it. Um, it's not good for you. <laughs> um, other than that, just kind of like learn to listen to your body. Learn as much as you can to uh, distinguish between the muscle fatigue pain and the subluxation pain so that you have better words to describe it to your medical professionals. But yeah, the big thing for me is pay attention to fatigue and learn your limits because once you're aware of your own parameters, it's a lot easier to just make your life work around it rather than uh, trying to ignore it or push past it. Pushing past it, only leads to burnout and you're only going to injure yourself more. Please don't do that. Yes, we do not want that. <laughs> yeah, so no bendy fingers, no burnout. Please and thank you. I'm sure it's that easy, right? 
<laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your story and some of those amazing, beautiful insights and gems into your life. And if people want to find you, where can they find you to follow you? Uh, so I am most active on Instagram. I'm just Diana Divine Burlesque. Uh, you can also find Singing in the Pain, my disability chronic illness show, is uh, just Disability Cabaret on Instagram. That's our tag. Um, and then I also do art stuff at Diana Diana Designs by Diana Divine. Um, Brilliant. Very, very on brand, yes. There's a lot of sexy Jar Jar Binks art on there. Uh, but yeah, like, yeah, find me around. If you Google Diana Divine, I, I'm around a lot. You'll be able to find me. <laughs> and of course, everything is in the show notes. So head there. Thank you so, so, so much. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you for listening to another episode of That's So Chronic. Make sure you head to the show notes for all of that extra information. Remember, I'm just a DM away over on Instagram. If you aren't already following, what are you waiting for? I'm at That's So Chronic. If you enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate you leaving a five-star review and pressing that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or follow on Spotify and share it with someone who might enjoy it as well. That helps me get into more ears around the world to hopefully spread awareness and, more importantly, 